So today, we're going to start talking about the Great Resignation. I'm sure uh, many of you have heard about it, and if you haven't heard about it, you will hear about it. But there's a disturbing trend in the industry right now where people are up and quitting their jobs. 41% uh, of the global workforce is considering leaving their employer this year, according to a new Microsoft study. Uh, so a lot of my fellow entrepreneurs are starting to feel the pinch here of people, people resigning. Uh, have, have any of you experienced this firsthand? Definitely yeah. seeing it in my business and uh, clients I speak with uh, are telling me the same thing. So it's, 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 it's a real thing. Yeah, I mean, we had an employee that had been here for a few years leave this summer. Um, it, it was a win for both sides, I think. You know, it, uh, in our in our case, it was an employee who um, was trying to grow up into a job that really wasn't the perfect fit for them, and so they found a better perfect fit, and that opened up a, an opportunity for us to hire a better fit for us too. So I think there's good and bad on both sides of it. Rolled into a bit of a sense of complacency because we went a year or two without much turnover. Um, and then all of a sudden we're getting hit with the wave and the great resignation. Um, and so we probably were a little bit complacent to, to some extent thinking we'd uh, solve some problems that we hadn't really solved. And I think there is this, this pent up demand for change that maybe was not possible to make during you know, the depths of the COVID lockdowns and the uncertainty and the hiring freezes that a lot of companies had. But now that um, you know, the job market has opened up again, people are making the move. I think that's probably has a lot to do with it. I was thinking about you know, what's causing this. And there's all sorts of stats and things from people counting beans, but I try to look at the human side of it. And people are always thinking about, you know, making a change. And if you're about to quit your job, and then all of a sudden the world went into lockdown, you probably would back off of that idea for a little while. Um, followed up with, oh, cool, I can work from home too. I was already kind of checked out. And now it makes it easier, right? Uh, so I think a lot of folks might have been... Um, thinking about quitting their jobs and moving on and just we're all on hold. It kind of reminds me of 2009 and, you know, I was in the tech business and people didn't fix their equipment, right? They're just like, well, we're not gonna upgrade right now. We're just gonna hold on. I think people are thinking about the same way about their jobs, right? I'm just gonna hold on. And then now it's like, well, it's not gonna get any better or you consider it over. So it's time to make a move. I think a lot of people have new challenges too. You know, um, I was just talking to someone who uh, has young children, right? And they're a working mom um, and a working family and their son's in preschool. And there was a COVID case where a, a three-year-old got really sick and was in the hospital. And so they're not sending their kid back to preschool. There's no vaccine for preschoolers, you know, and they're rethinking like, what does their work life look like? You know, how many hours can they work? Are they having to sacrifice or get outside care and things like that? I think it's just a new world for parents, depending on what state you live in. You know, what, you know, where my kids go to school, they're, you know, they have to wear masks. This person's, there's no mask mandate. So, um, you know, I think, I think people are having to make tough choices about their families and the work that they want to do and, and even make sacrifices to, to, you know, just to survive. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking as an employer, I've always had more flexible work plans and a little bit of an innovator there. Um, I think kind of the mold has been broken on a lot of the, the social norms about yeah. different types of careers and jobs, right? So whereas it would, oh, you can't possibly have a part-time job or a part work from home job for this job in the past, just because of culture or whatever, you know, like if you're a stock trader, you got to get into the boiler room on time before the market opens. Well, you know, that stuff's kind of been smashed. And I think people are, are, are 
it's more socially acceptable, if you will, to rearrange and say, yeah, I work part-time or I work from home or I do this because I have my kids and there's a pandemic going on. Then prior to that, when people would kind of like, you know, kind of poo-poo you if you had certain certain aspirations of your work style in certain careers and industries. I mean, if you're a physician and you need to go into the hospital or into the office, that's one thing. And then, you know, we're fortunate. So most of us work in fields where we have the flexibility from working from home and our employees do too. And I think what's been um, interesting about the last year is, is the challenge has been figuring out how to use the tools to have a, the, to have a, an effective team and communicate effectively and connect effectively um, in this environment where we're enjoying not having commutes, right? We don't, we're not wasting two hours a day driving into an office anymore or spending a lot of money on rent. And our employees can be maybe more balanced um, and more efficient and they enjoy working from home, but then you know, how do you connect and how do you make sure that everybody's communicating clearly? I know that um, we've had Microsoft Teams for I don't know how long, never knew how to use it. <laughs> I use Zoom for client meetings, but we've really um, figured out how to use Teams and it feels like my employees are, you know, in the office with me. You know, we just hop on a video and, um, and feel really connected that way and have figured out how to work really effectively. And I think, uh, I think there's some great tools out there that teams are starting to to use so that they, you know, that they that they can provide that kind of flexibility that people are looking for. When I went out to just hire an operations manager, uh, I was excited because I didn't have to have someone local. I could go across the country to look for the perfect person for me, and the person I hired is in Houston. Um, and it's it's awesome having someone that's at that level that has the exact experience I was looking for and didn't have to be in the New England area or in New Hampshire. That, you know, brings up a good point. You know, there's there's a a change in the way people are working, right? And it's a change in the way that you can find talent, but also it changes culture, right? And how you 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 make your culture emanate throughout your organization. And I always believe that culture is a, a big anchor uh, for employee retention. So, um, you know, and any thoughts on how it, this, how it's changing out there related to trying to keep your com- company culture or adapt your company culture in this sort of hybrid remote workforce? I think it's kind of a double challenge, right? The first challenge is how do you kind of maintain a strong culture in a largely remote environment? And that's a challenge in itself. But then, you know, businesses over time in the normal course of business, they need to change their culture. They need to restructure the organizations Um, and trying to change culture and restructure organizations at a time when everybody is working remotely that's the double whammy, right? It's one thing if you can meet with people in the office, look each other in the eyes, see the body language, have lunch together, maybe get a beer together after work. You know, it's another thing to announce major changes and work through major changes on on video conferences. And so it's kind of a double challenge there. And I think cultures that were kind of based around foosball and catered lunches and happy hours, that obviously doesn't work (laughs) in a largely remote environment. And maybe those kinds of things in the past could have overcome um, a lack of passion about the actual work that people did. But I think what we're seeing is that, you know, that there needs to be some kind of a why or a purpose to the actual work that we're doing that unites everybody, that the that employees are, you know, passionate about doing. And if they are passionate about some kind of a purpose that they're achieving, you know, that, that will persist whether people are working together in the office or working with it remotely. I, I yeah. agree with you on that, Calvin. Yeah, having a shared purpose, being passionate about the work that you do, and staying passionate about the work that you do. 
And, you know, I, I think the other thing is as you're hiring new people, so people leave and so now we're hiring new people, how do you integrate them to the team? You know, and one of the things that, that I had decided when I hired this person in Houston, this person was the first person really outside of the New England area that joined my team. Um, and so, you know, we've decided that we're going to have this person fly in at least two, if not three times a year. Um, we have a retreat planned for the end of next month where, you know, we're going to do a combination of fun things together like you would, you know, at happy hour um, and, and strategic planning and just getting to know each other. So this person feels really connected to the rest of the team. Um, and so, you know, that we can get to know each other on a personal level, because I think that connection is really important when you work, you know, to to stop and, you know, I, I had an employee the other day that just didn't seem like themselves and I don't see them every day. And so I finally, we'd been running 150 miles an hour. I said, uh, how are you feeling? Are you doing all right? You seem, you just don't seem quite like yourself. And they said, I can't believe you noticed that over video. Um, and I said, you know, I kind of noticed it, but I, you know, I just hadn't taken the time to say anything. And they said, I, re I really appreciate you stopping to ask me how I'm doing and, you know, just checking in on me and noticing even that you know, as they said, I, I, I always thought like I, I could hide it really well. And I said, oh, you seem fine in quiet meetings. But like, I just know when we're talking, you just don't have the same level of energy as it, that you had. And they were just, I think they just had been, uh, been overcommitted with kid things and had a lot of family in town and had been kind of burning both ends. And, you know, but they really appreciated just me noticing that they didn't quite seem like themselves and just asking like, how are you? Um, I listened to this great podcast that someone sent me earlier this week about checking in with employees about how they're doing. So staying connected, keeping the culture, keeping people connected to your business. And, and they were essentially saying as a leader or manager, like you, you don't want to assume that someone is unhappy or something's going wrong. You shouldn't open a question by saying, you know, like, um, it, it seems like you're feeling down or, you know, something like that, that, that just asking like, how are you doing? Like in a really sincere way is a great way to be connected and open the door, um, even if you're over video. And um, it, was a, it was a really great podcast that sort of gave some advice on how to have those conversations, which I think is important in this time where we're not seeing each other, where we're just really seeing each other on video and snippets. Yeah, I think some of the data that I've read and some of the articles out there floating around on the internet about the great resignation is a, a big driver is folks not feeling like cared for by their employees, right? We're you know, feeling more distant. I think it's probably uh, gets worse in bigger companies, right? If you're in a, a corporation yeah. of 500 people and, you know, they got these big office buildings that are abandoned and everything else, you know, the, the, it's probably, probably the owner or the CEO of the company, like you, Mindy, is probably not catching on to that burnout of all their employees. Over and Zoom. I have a small team, you know, I have a small team, so I pay close attention, but you would hope that managers of teams would pay attention, but it's hard when you have a lot of things going on to stop and notice things like that. Yeah. And some industries like mine, I mean, accountants are generally pretty introverted, quiet people. And so we might pick up on something just seeing somebody at the office, but uh, you really have to make that intentional effort to observe and pick up on things working remotely if, if your demographic is one that is particularly quiet and introverted to begin with. So one of the things that, you know, this is a great topic. One of, one of the things that I've used in the past and also currently uh, just as a, as a tool is a, a tool called 15.5. And uh, it's, it's sort of an employee management tool, if you will. Every Friday, my staff fills out a 15-5 survey and it tells me how they're feeling on a scale of one to five, right? It makes it really passive and easy for somebody to just like, you know what, I'm not feeling too good. I'm gonna click a three and I could give a reason or no reason. 
but they might not speak up to you about that, right? And it might just be that week. So it, it kind of gives you trends, right? If you see somebody who's like three, 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 a couple of weeks in a row, you should definitely reach out. If it's a three and then a five, good. If it's five every week, so they're probably going to quit on you because they're lying. So you can kind of read yeah. between the lines on that one too, right? Um, and then there's more things in it too about what the most important thing they're working on and, and, and you know, sort of standard one-on-one -on -one stuff. But I really just love that scale of one to five every Friday, finding out how my staff is feeling um, because, you know, I care, you know, uh, I think most people do care. Sometimes, they're, like you said, Mindy, they're just too busy to notice. And if it was brought to their attention, they'd stop and care. Well, having a process to identify these things is, I think, the most important thing. And, and as a small business owner who's growing, you need to put more processes in place because it's harder to have one-on-ones with each of your employees on a, on a regular basis, right? So um, so that 15-5, that's, that's really interesting. Is that a tool that you subscribe to or something that you've created just out of a questionnaire that you saw somewhere? Or how do you it's, implement um... that? Yeah, it's it's a SaaS product. Um, it's at 15.5.com, 15.5.com. Um, and yeah, it was referred to me years ago by a colleague who was using it. But uh, I replaced, you know, weekly one-on-ones with the quick 15.5. And I think the name 15.5 comes from it should take the employee 15 minutes to fill out and the manager five minutes to review and comment on. So that's the the balance there. Uh, and then it uh, stores up information about that exchange. And then you can queue that up for a one-on-one -on -one monthly where you're you know, digging into it. Uh, I have a smaller team, so I'm having one-on-ones all the time. But if you have a, a bigger team, you know, it's hard to have 15 one-on-ones in a week uh, with, with your staff, right? It takes up a lot of time. It's important, but you have to have that balance too. And I think, I think being guilty of this in the past myself, you set up a lot of these things like one-on-ones and then they start to get canceled because work gets busy and then yeah. and then you drift and then all of a sudden you're not doing them anymore or the staff yeah. is cynical about them when you do have them because they're inconsistent all right so people left all right we need to we need to, to plug that hole but first we need to get people back in so let's talk about strategies for finding talent in this market and hiring and challenges Calvin, you've probably hired more than I, I have. I, I got lucky. I did a, I, with this last hire, I, um, someone was referred to me uh, by someone that I trusted, uh, but then I wanted to make sure that this was the right person. So I went out and went through 150 resumes on Indeed and, you know, uh, went through a lot of different things. I hired someone to do pre-interviews for me um, and go through the whole process and then came down to another five that I interviewed for the position. Still, in the end, this other person was the right person, but at least I knew that they were the right person and there wasn't someone better out there. But uh, it, I was grateful that someone in the industry who I shared that I was looking for someone with had someone looking for a position. Yeah, I think it's challenging with small businesses like ours. Um, you know, we don't need to, we, we don't have to go out and hire 10 people with a pulse who can do something. Um, you know, we're looking for top, you know, 10, 20% talent in the marketplace. So we're looking for really good people. And although there may be a lot of resignations happening, um, that doesn't seem to be translating necessarily into a larger talent pool for, you know, skilled professional positions that I think we're all on this, uh, in this meeting trying to hire for anyway. Um, and so it's hard. We're having to really work employee referrals. We're trying to do a lot of proactive outreach you know, gone are the days when we can just post a job ad and screen applicants. We have to be a lot more proactive about the approach. Um, and it's interesting because I contrast this um, experience we're having in the U.S. with, 
their experience we're having in our international office. And it's a little bit difficult to parse, um, you know, what's causing the difference. But in our international office, we're able to do the traditional job ad and screen candidates and hire somebody approach. But it's also, you know, more of, um, you know, an entry level position. And I think a lot of the great resignation, it seems to be happening more with the mid-career folks who are reevaluating what they're looking for in a job, um, whereas in the entry-level folks, um, there still seems to be a lot of demand if we have an opportunity available that somebody commit, can come in at a lower level and learn and grow in advance. Um, those positions are still much easier to fill, but those mid-career positions are, are really tough still. Yeah, the data floating around out there says that the you know 20 to 25-year-old age group are staying put probably because they just got into the workforce and they're not uh, too punchy to be jumping around. Uh, and then the 30 to 45 year old range is the, is the group that's moving around the most. That is that, that sort of mid-career range that you described there, Calvin. And then north of that, people are staying put too. Um, I would have thought that folks that were closer to retirement might be like, well, you know, I've had enough. Um, but instead they're, 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 I think, hunkering down until they hit the finish line on that job. You know what, most of them at that age, uh, depending on, you know, if they're a business owner or someone who's a leader who likes to start new things and likes change, that's totally different. But I think most people at that phase in their lives are like, I don't want to relearn something. I don't want to go to a new company and relearn everything. I just got to like make it through, you know, these next five years or whatever it might be. But there are, there we've had a number of clients who have left jobs that they absolutely hated, um, you know, and tried to work with management and and some of them have found jobs and some of them are still looking. Um, I think it's, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be easier to find jobs uh, than it has been. I think employers are being pretty picky about, and they should, about the level of experience that they're looking for. And so if someone has left a job in an industry that doesn't have a lot of openings and is trying to switch industries, I'm seeing that this is a difficult industry. This is a difficult time to change industries for employees. The people that I've seen leave an industry that they want to get out of without already having a job, I've seen kind of struggling through finding um, the next thing and they thought it was going to be a lot easier because they had a lot of experience. So it's just an interesting, it's, it's really interesting knowing that a lot of people are having a hard time finding people and then people who are looking really hard are still having a hard time finding companies that they're the right fit for. Um, that is interesting. Uh, interesting. That, I mean, so there's an opportunity. So how do how do we tap into that opportunity as employers? Right. It's a great resignation. So people are quitting. So that means people should be looking. How it's do like we? Great, it's like the great realignment as much as the great resignation. Well, I think it depends on what kind of business that you're in. So there's a um, colleague of mine in the same kind of industry that I'm in out in the Midwest. And he's like, I always hire career changers. And the rest of us were in this mastermind together are like, uh, there's a lot of training that goes on with that. Like you have the capacity to really like put that much training into a career changer who wants to leave. And, you know, and his opinion is, you know, these career changers really appreciate this new career. And yes, there's a whole bunch of upfront training that has to be done with that person, but they stay. And so what he's found is his business has grown really fast and he's hired a whole bunch of people and he's created the capacity to be able to train them. And he's finding that these people, you know, I, I, I don't know the, the details of how he chooses them, but he's found that he really enjoys working with career changers. And he, he thinks that the training time uh, to train them in, in what he needs them to do is well worth the effort. 
So I think it's depending on where you are. Like when I was hiring this operations manager, I needed someone who knew more about that part of my business than I did. Like I have a small business, fast growing. It's not an area that I want to be an expert in, right? You know, I'm an expert in something else. I needed to hire an expert. I was looking for a really high level person, Um, but I'm in the process. So we talk about like, how do we sort of attract people to our businesses that we want to hire? You know, I'm starting to think about, you know, how do I get advisors to know the work that we're doing so that when they want to go switch jobs, they think about our company versus me having to go out and find a whole bunch of them, right? So how can we get out on podcasts to talk about the great work we're doing so people want to work for us? How do you get ranked as one of the best employers? How do you, you know, so I'm almost at this point now that we're growing fast, trying to think about how, not how do I get more, you know, new clients, but how do I attract the best employees? How do I get in front of people, whether it's through being on webinars? I was just on a webinar um, for Columbia Wealth Management, uh, Columbia's Wealth Management Program. So a whole bunch of people that are going through a master's program there for wealth management. So how do I get in front of people who are new advisors or are career changers so that they know what we do? And when they're looking, they'll call us instead of me having to find them. So I think I think employers have to get creative, not just about finding people, but how do they present their businesses as a great place to be and a place that's doing really great work? And I think if you're doing that well, hopefully your employees are passionate too, right? If you can get that energy going and you and you really are walking the walk, hopefully your employees are passionate about what they're doing and you're bringing in similar A people um, to your organization. When it comes to trying to find that talent, you know, what are we all doing to make sure we're finding that right fit? You know, uh, Mindy, you talked about going through 150 resumes, uh, which what sounds- I, What I learned was I didn't, I didn't describe exactly what I wanted well enough. And so I fine tuned it as I went. So I'm not an expert in, um, in HR. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, good point. All right. So I've, I've coached a lot of businesses and gone through this myself a number of times. That right there is is a common thread. Um, you know, I always advise my my clients to start all of their job postings with the same paragraph, and that paragraph really needs to describe the culture of the company and the opportunity at a higher level. Not that like this opportunity is what you're going to do with your day, but do you want to work with a group of you know bright, bubbly, outgoing people versus do you want to work heads down in a, in a super technical engineering space, you know, like describing the business and the culture and, and how it sort of came to be. And then um, I've noticed that being different in five different posts from the same company. And I'm like, and you got to come, this has to be sort of the emblem, the shining emblem at the top, the, 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 the snappy catch. This is who we are. This is the environment. Do you want to come play with us? And have that be consistent across all the job posts. Then you start to get into the uniqueness of the position itself. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that you're trying to hire for culture fit, right? You can train people to do certain things, but you're trying to make sure they're just the right person that's going to fit in with the rest of the team. So um, I, I agree. And I think that um, I, in my in my job title, put operations manager. Well, operations manager means a lot of different things. I should have put, you know independent uh, registered investment advisor operations manager in the title of the, you know, so even though it was in the body, anyways, this is a learning for me, but I think you're right. Um, Putting that company culture out first, you want people to be excited about it. So to your point, like having something there that someone goes, wow, that looks like a cool place to work. I wonder what they have, what they're offering, right? What kind of job or what kind of person they're looking for? I mean, I completely agree with you, Mindy and Glenn. I think 
emphasizing the culture. It will attract the people who want to work in that kind of environment. It will scare off the people who don't, which is a great screening tool. And then over the years, I've also come to appreciate the, um, the value of the job ad or the job mission or the job description, whatever you call it. Um, but I've seen so many traditional job descriptions and you know, all of them seem to include the same line about written, um, verbal, or professional or written and verbal communication skills, like, or, you know, works well with others, like plays good in the sandbox. I mean, it's just table stakes. Like that doesn't really define what you need to do in the job. So I think we've seen a lot more success when we've started to take more of the job mission approach that Jeff Smart describes in his book, Who, where you describe the outcomes that the role is responsible for producing. So mm. instead of talking about the need to have professional written and verbal communication skills, you know, let's talk about um, outcomes. So you need to retain 90% of your customers every year. Your manufacturing defect rate needs to be less than 1%. You need to maintain a pipeline of hireable candidates, at least two hireable candidates for every role that you plan to hire this year. Whatever is relevant to the job, what is it that you need to produce and what's the cultural environment in which you're going to be producing that and then everything else around the communication skills and the teamwork and everything just kind of is a requirement to produce those outcomes but the outcomes are what what really matters definitely follow the uh the who method myself uh definitely support uh support putting in those those outcomes and and showing folks really what at the end of the day that they're going to do i there's those sort of cliches in the interviewing, like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I think that's a, a lot of wasted time of, that you have and the candidate has going back and forth with that. Uh, something else that I started doing, uh, it depends on the role, of course. If you have a highly specified job opening that needs a technical expertise with years of experience, like, I don't know, brain surgery, well, then you need somebody who's got some experience there. But I've also found uh, when I'm looking for somebody that's maybe mid-level or I want them to have more experience, I actually put little to no experience required on the job post because there's lots of good people that are culture fits that maybe have more experience than they think. And I want the opportunity to decide to filter them out. I don't want them to self-select out. You know, I want to see who they are and I want to interview them or have a chance to be like, no, I think, I think we can get you there. Maybe this position that's a little lower is right for you. Um, but I think that, you know, there's also sort of a, you know, a, a philosophy there of, you know, people who might not have the experience and aren't necessarily sincere people aren't the best employees and are going to tell you they can do everything under the sun, right? But a very, very honest person might not even apply to your job, be like, oh, I don't have five years experience in this industry. I've only got three but maybe they're awesome and you don't care once you start talking to them. So that's another thing in a hard market is don't limit yourself to, to on paper to the amount of candidates you get the opportunity to filter through outside of some really specialized role where there's just no way that you, you can't be a brain surgeon without experience. So Glenn, let me ask you a question. Cause I just, so I told you I went through like 125 resumes, right? Which is not a lot really for one position. I'm sure what other people go through. And I was specific in what I wanted. And there were a lot of those people who were not qualified, even though I specified, you know, whatever applied that I had to read through, right? To see that, you know, listen, you didn't follow my instructions. Um, and, and so I, I guess I'm just thinking that if, if you put even less requirements than I did, let's imagine I get double the amount of resumes or triple or, you know, four times the amount, do you hire as a small business owner, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? So 
do you hire a recruiter that um, filters through those for you or a consultant that filter, filters through and narrows them down? Or I just found it hard to manage the capacity that was coming in if I, if I wasn't more direct with what I was looking for. That is a great question. So the, the easy answer that nobody wants to hear is, yes, I think recruiters are actually well worth it. And uh, yes, they're expensive and it sucks. And it took me many, many years to, to, to swallow that pill and to do that. So recruiters are a good option. Of course, you have to find a good recruiter and that, that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Right. Uh, I used to be very anti-recruiter, but I'll say that as an option. But the DIY uh, if, it, version of that or answer to that uh, cause a trick that I've learned that is, is, is a gating factor is that in your application process, put in some instructions. So answer these four questions, something that's really easy. And, uh, you will find that a large amount of the people do not follow those instructions and you can just eliminate them right off the bat. Right. Yeah. Mine was include a cover letter or I won't even look at your stuff. Bam. Right. So there are so many people that are just on these platforms like Indeed and whatever, just hitting submit, apply, submit, apply, submit, apply. So just putting a few simple slam dunk questions or, or instructions in your application process just to get them through that. Can you read and follow directions? Right? <laughs> exactly right. Don't yeah. underestimate the value of that. So even though the cover lever might not be enough, just because a lot of people just have cover letters. Um, but you might want to think about just a few other oh, no, little it, things. It was a lot. It, it filtered out a lot. It's amazing who doesn't <laughs> follow instructions. Now me, I don't, I would be like, don't include a cover letter. I don't read anything. Um, but that's me. Right. So every employer is different. Right. So I'm, I, uh, I just glazed right over cover letters. Well, I'd look at them and see if they actually were generic or if they like took the time to say my company's name. Well, that's what I did too. Did they look at our website? Did they research our company? Did they, did they try it all? to put anything original in there. You know, putting candidates through the ringer and asking them to do too much as part of the recruiting and interview process by businesses. Um, but we, you know, we have them do skills assessments, um, tests, you know, multiple interviews. It's generally kind of hard to get hired at my companies. And that tends to weed a lot of people out along the way if they're not really interested, uh, you know, in, in the position or in SmartBooks or one of my other companies in the past. You know, they kind of self-select out. So we make it kind of hard. We cast a really broad net, but then we make it pretty hard to actually get to the to the final stage. The thing I recently learned, I used a recruiter for one thing and I and I independently and used a consultant to help me a little bit on, on another hire. And um, the recruiter hire, I'm used to talking to everybody before they really get brought to me. And um, I found that, you know, the analogy I used with them is like, you know, I, I was looking for an oral surgeon. I clearly wasn't, you know, I had needed a root canal. You brought me a dentist. Like you, you brought me someone who was in that field and like might be able to do all the things that I asked you about, but like they weren't, even though I told you I wanted them to be an expert in these three areas or, you know, no more than me in these three areas, they didn't, they knew it's surface level. Um, and so, you know, they were disappointed because I didn't like the candidates they brought me. Um, and I was, and so then the next candidate they brought in, you know, knew that there's this experience with someone that was brought to me that didn't have the experience and I wasn't going to suffer through it. And, um, you know, so I just said to them, you know, I, I was looking for an oral surgeon. They brought me a dentist. Like I get it. It's like the same kind of field. They thought it was going to be fine. Right. It wasn't fine for me for what I needed. Uh, might be fine for someone else, but like, I think it's, and, and what I learned is I need to be really specific. Like this is a non-negotiable for me. 
you know, it's, they, they don't just need to know it. They need to be an expert in it. And I don't care if it takes you a month and a half to find that person. I'm, I'm not willing to compromise. So as an owner, I, I learned that I really need to understand what my needs are and I need to be very specific about it. That is a great point. And, and kind of a side topic here is, is, all right, leveraging and using recruiters effectively. I've had the yeah. very similar experience to you in the past, Mindy. Um, my, 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 my thoughts on it are, you know, recruiters are salespeople. Right. So, and the recruiters right now are crushing it, right? The recruiting firms are super busy because of all this activity. So they're suffering from some of the same things we are. They're trying to hire people. They're hiring inexperienced people. And those people are now bringing you less than satisfactory candidates, right? So being very specific is very important. Also, not all recruiters are, 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 are created equal, right? Not all firms are created equal. And then just not all staff are created equal. Um, some buyers in, the, in that market, so consumers of recruiters services, aren't as particular as what you just described too, right? So they'll throw those dentists over the fence and they'll keep making money because people don't advocate for themselves and get specific. So getting really specific, stopping them in their tracks, making it clear that this won't be acceptable. And also, I've gone through a number of different firms in the past and the ones I've had the most success with are the ones who take the time after, of course, they're going to get you that candidate. And then you've got to have that conversation to know this was wrong and why, but understanding your culture and really what you're looking for. And then getting that from them, that sentence of, I get it now, totally get it. This is not what you're looking for. I understand more now because you've given me examples of what not to do. <laughs> and folks who've said that have been far more successful in the future, getting me candidates. And I've even had firms that all of a sudden can't get me candidates anymore. And they're like, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. I know what you're looking for. And I, I have not been able to find that unicorn. And that's better than them wasting your time, in my opinion. Agreed. This person tried to say to me, like, you're looking for a unicorn. I'm like, well, I, I engaged you to find a unicorn. Um, and so just keep looking, <laughs> right? Right. And, um, and they found the unicorn. You know, she started last week. She's awesome. She's gotten up to speed quickly. You know, you're, you just know in your gut sometimes. I mean, sometimes our guts are wrong, but, you know, I knew immediately with the other candidates, you know, I tried a couple of days, it was not going to work. Yeah, I think how the recruiter is compensated can also make a difference, right? There's two models. There's the contingent model where you pay the recruiter when you hire a candidate, they refer. And if they don't refer you to somebody you hire, you don't pay them anything. And then there's more of the retainer model where you pay for the time spent by the recruiter looking for candidates. Um, and there are pros and cons of each model, but I think it's important to consider which model is right for, for you based on the kind of position that you're trying to hire. Right now, I'm, I'm in the retainer model, and we provide a lot of feedback for the kinds of candidates that we're looking for. The recruiter doesn't feel like he or she is wasting their time, um, not getting paid for the work they're doing because they are getting paid. And if we change our mind and let them retune the job, they haven't wasted their time. They've been paid for it. They don't get the huge upside when we hire one of their people, but they get paid for the, the services they provide as they go. And we have a lot more control over how they work because we're paying them for the time that they're spending versus simply the fact that we hire one of the people that they happen to source for us. Nobody likes to do really hard quality work and not get paid, right? <laughs> so that's a great point, Calvin. I've actually experienced that as well. And particularly feeling like I have the right to give them that hard feedback along the way because I am compensating them in some way. And they do effectively work for me and don't work for me at the end only if they're successful. Um, 
Because in those scenarios, they might have another customer that's way easy going and maybe isn't really sophisticated hire and is going to go ahead and hire a bunch of people that aren't going to work out, but they won't figure that out till later, right? And if you are really picky and they're working 100% commission at the end of the day, they might start giving more of their candidates and attention to some other client because it's just harder for them to, to make a living working with you. So I'm a big supporter of the more retainer model as well, especially in a industry or an environment like we are in today, right? It's highly competitive. It's brutal out there. Um, it, it, it is definitely a buyer's market from the employee side. Uh, when it's the other way around, it's, it's a little bit different and you can it, it engage uh, recruiting firms in a different manner. And they're also really, really hungry for the business because they need to make money. So I really think it all kind of blows, which way the wind blows uh, has a big impact on that too. Some advice that I've gotten before, you probably give this advice, Glenn, is to keep jobs that you know you're going to grow into up on your careers page and your website so that you're collecting resumes for people that are out there searching. Maybe you're not advertising it somewhere, um, but you know, just having a careers page, having job descriptions of people you know you're going to want to hire in the future so that you can, you can be collecting resumes or if someone's out there looking or someone sees you at a conference or things like that, that you can start collecting people that you might want in the future. Absolutely. You always want to be creating a deep list of awesome talent, even if you're not ready for them or can't afford them or aren't big enough for them as a firm, um, because you want to have that relationship going with them too, because a lot of folks that are, are, are highly sought after and are really talented don't really change careers or jobs until life happens, right? And when life happens, they move quick. So all of a sudden, maybe they find out that there's something going on with that business and they're in sales and they're like, you know, I'm going to get in a job somewhere else. If I have just spoken to Mindy last week, that uh, you're going to be top of mind and they might give you a call. If they haven't talked to you in six months, they might hit the job boards and go get a new job. And you're going to see it on LinkedIn that they switch jobs and you're like, oh my gosh, I would have totally wanted to hire you, but nobody knew. So Right. Ask friends, go, you know, put it out on industry sites and things like that. Uh, my two of my last hires were based on reaching out to um, people in the field that I thought might know someone who made an awesome introduction. Luck, I guess, but I guess you make your own luck by asking. <laughs>